The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. I, I think it's kind of funny, uh, being a professor of communication, uh, there's always that joke that's in the back of my mind that uh, those who can communicate, communicate, and those who can't, teach. I think that's always, Gwen's always hilarious that I'm a professor of communication. She thinks that's pretty funny sometimes because I don't always communicate well. And I have a few uh, former students uh, sitting here, hi Kat, and uh, I, I hope this is more like a sermon than a lecture. My lectures are easy because I like to raise questions, but a sermon you almost think you need to put some closure to it. So that's a little bit of a challenge for me today because I always like to leave with you leaving with more questions than you came. And I'm going to try to get through that today. So, uh, but I am a professor at Concordia University. Uh, Gabe said I teach the cinnamon, cinnamon, I always say that, cinnamon, cinema and religion class on Monday nights at the movie house. You're all welcome to come to that. Tickets are free. Um, this week, I should go ahead and say that it's the Tree of Life. Uh, uh, Terrence Malick has Austin Connections. He's the director of that. It's a very, very beautiful film. And it's a film about hope. And we even have, uh, I've confirmed that one of the cinematographers, uh, primary cinematographers, is going to be there to talk about it. So come, that'll be good. All right, um, so Gabe said, I am an elder. And what is the qualification of an elder? Well, I think gray hair helps, okay? And speaking of gray... I want you to take a look at this first slide, and I want you to turn to the person next to you and tell them what you see. What do you see? Okay, this is going to kind of blow your mind a little bit, but this is my sermon illustration, okay? What you are seeing is not two dark squares on a white background. What you're actually seeing is a mask. The white or the light area of this is masking a picture underneath. Now I'm going to reveal to you the picture that's underneath it. Go ahead, Michael. Now what do you see? The yellow arrows point to where the boxes were, the windows. Some of you are going, what? Go backward one more time. Okay, see it? Got it? Okay, go forward. What do you see? It's different, isn't it? And my point here is that, first of all, what you see sometimes is relative. What you believe is true and beautiful and noble is relative. And also, this picture kind of illustrates kind of how our world is today. There's always 50 shades of gray. And that's the topic, that's my theme for today, is 50 shades of gray. It's my rebel's anthem. Now, uh, this This title comes from a a book that's popular these days. Is anybody willing to admit they've read Fifty Shades of Grey? Just keep the hands down. Okay, well, let me try to explain it. I haven't read it either, okay? Uh, But I did a little research on it, and um, for those of you who really have read it, maybe you could uh, confirm this for me, but it is about a very difficult romance, okay? It's about the heroine in this uh, book, as far as I know, is named Annabelle Steele, which is a very interesting term, Steele. And she falls in love with this millionaire by the name of Christian Gray. Very interesting name, Christian Gray. And so her journey is this journey to go through trying to discover her own limits of what's proper in a relationship. 
and it is uh, kind of a, a pun on, on the terms I'm going to use later, these names, Christian uh, Gray and Annabelle Steele. And so because the rebel anthems have had uh, usually a song to go with it, I said, oh, I'm going to go search for a song. I wasn't sure what I was looking for, but I searched and I found an old Billy Joel song. And I think Billy Joel must have wrote this when he was young, because I listened to the tune on, uh, or to the song on iTunes, and he sounded like he had a real high voice, like he was a young man. But I want to share with you three different sections of that song that kind of illustrate our Rebels Anthem for today. The first verse, or chorus, or whatever this is, says, Shades of gray wherever I go, the more I find out, the less that I know. Black and white is how it should be, but shades of gray are the colors I see. Next slide. Now with the wisdom of years, which is kind of interesting because I think he's a young man writing this. Now with the wisdom of years, I try to reason things out. And the only people I fear are those who never have doubts. Save us us all from arrogant men and all the causes therefore. I won't be righteous again. I'm not that sure anymore. Shades of gray are all that I find when I look to the enemy line. Ain't no rainbows shining on me. Shades of gray are the colors I see. So what is E.L. James and Billy Joel trying to say? What is their rebellion? Their rebellion is, in a lot of ways, they're looking at Christians. And they're saying, Christians, you got to take off your rose-colored glasses. It's coloring the world that's really 50 shades of gray. Here, put on these dark glasses and they'll show you the world as it really is. And so what they're, they're kind of illustrating is that, that we're just seeing this first slide that, that we had up there before. We're just seeing white and black. That's all we see. They say, pull off that mask and look, the world is 50 shades of gray. And this kind of reminds me, one of the films we're going to see on March 24th, I believe it is, is a movie called Pleasantville. Does anybody ever see that movie? Yeah, some people have. We're going to examine that at at Cinema and Religion because really uh, it's about two teenagers who go back to the 50s and in the 50s everything's gray. Everything's in black and white. And it's this gray, dull morality that, that is imprisoning the people there. And these two teenagers come from modern times there and enlighten the people. And as the movie progresses, as people become enlightened to break away from the morals that constrained them before, the movie starts becoming colored. And so we're going to examine that really closely at Cinema and Religion. I would encourage you to come then too. But it's kind of, if you know who uh, Frederick Nietzsche was, Nietzsche was kind of the guy that inspired Nazism. But he talked about a place beyond morality. That that the world is evolving to a place beyond morality. So those are the things that we will be looking at and thinking about today. And I think... Let's go back to the, um, the, the next slide will be the um, Philippians verse. Now this is, I think this is the NIV translation, but this is the one I selected for this. And let's read this together. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Wherever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace 
will be with you. I think it's wise for me to tell you what I'm not going to say today. And then I'll tell you what I am going to say, just to make sure I get this clear. I'm not going to say, just as I don't think Paul is saying here, that by thinking on certain things, you are redeemed, that you earn one step toward heaven. But what I will say is that in this verse, Paul is illustrating for us that God wants the best for us. And he has an idea. He has an ultimate, absolute idea what is best for us. And that we can experience this as his children. And, you know, in a lot of ways, this is our rebellion. We're going to think and see differently than the world. And we're going to, it is a difference. And, and, and the, this message really is all about this. Because we are the children he's redeemed. We will see differently if we think differently. So it's not really the Christian who puts on the rose-colored glasses. It's just that the world has conditioned us to wear dark glasses. And I think it's kind of a, a metaphor for the Garden of Eden. Everything was colorful and, and with subtle shades of hues and, and it just sublime colors. And then the sin and the fall came and now the world has become, we've put on through our sin, we've put on the dark glasses. But you know, really, if you look at that list, go to the next slide. Because of the world's conditioning, how can any of us know what is good? or true, or noble, or right, or pure, etc. How do we know? I remember as a kid, going through puberty, oh my gosh, sixth grade, seventh grade, I hope maybe I'm not too far from being unusual in that sense, but I had trouble when I was in the, I remember in the seventh grade walking around saying, I cannot think about these things that were new in my head, okay? I really thought I was going crazy. I really did. And I was afraid to think about those things because I felt like I was losing my faith. And I tried so hard to keep those things out of my head. And the harder I tried, you know, the more they came into my head. But, you know, if you think about this, how do we, how do we now try to think about those things? How do we do that? You know, you want Paul to just spell it out for us. What do you mean, Paul, about being noble? What do you mean? Spell it out what purity is so that we know. And instead, it's sort of just left there for us. And so, you know, whatever I believe to be true, if you do a search on the internet, you're going to find out that somebody else believes it's false. I mean, there are facts, and then there are true facts, right? And, it, you know, what is noble? Uh, some might say uh, the royal family of England is noble. I don't mean Downton Abbey, okay? Uh, like Prince William, Okay. Others might see something that we think is noble as just another useless celebrity. You know, if, if I write something and put it in the newspaper and I say, this is right, they'll put it on the opinion column because if you assert that this is right, somebody will say, what? They'll say, well, that's your opinion. On television, you know, I discovered that what I grew up thinking was pure nutrition, like white bread, Dr. Oz says is now toxic for me, Right? So what's pure? In, in, in magazines now, in Sports Illustrated, I think it is, if there's a photo of a bathing suit model floating in zero gravity, I might think that's lovely, but, but my wife might think that's obscene, right? Here's one for the kids. In the back seat of a car, 
on a long trip. Actually, this is for the parents of the kids. The sister might see something as admirable, but the brother will think this is silly, stupid, mile after mile after mile. If you recommend a bottle of wine as excellent, some wine snob is going to say, it's too heavy on the tannins, it's got a bouquet of rotted fruit, it has no legs to speak of. Say, what? If your next door neighbor, if Gabe, for example, praises some great music, his neighbors might find really disturbing, okay? So what's good music? What the left side, or from your side, the right side thinks as white, this side thinks as black. So what's the solution? How do we get through all this? You know, do we, do we fight for what we believe is right? Or do we just sort of give up and paint our delicately hued world in 50 shades of gray? There's nothing offensive to anyone, tolerable for all, but really nothing inspiring either. I mean, this is the kind of thinking that brought you Tang instead of orange juice, Folger's instant coffee, Schlitz beer, two buck chuck, you know, McRib sandwiches? That's the kind of thinking that we're getting to. Fifty shades of gray, but nothing interesting or satisfying in any of them. In pre-modern times, there was a guy named Plato, okay? Plato was actually very compatible with Christianity in many ways. I find his, his writings really ring true for, for me as a Christian. And he wrote that name-giving and law-giving are related means of affecting order. And now let's fast forward to the 20th century where a philosopher named Richard Weaver wrote this book, Ideas Have Consequences, and I've just marked the heck out of it because it's just so true for me. And it's not a book that you'll find in the Christian bookstore, but I think it's very interesting. He's commenting on postmodernism. And he, he wrote, if words no longer correspond to objective realities, it seems no great wrong to take liberties with words. And so today, if you watch much television, for example, body modification and mutilation is now the new wholeness. That's what wholeness is. Psychosis and angst is the new normal. Revenge is the new redemption. Orange is the new black, which used to be the old pink, I think. Family guy is the new father knows best. And I can't even begin to try to define what is meant today by marriage. So I'm okay and you're okay, 50 shades of gray. And I brought up postmodernism, and if you've been in any of my lecture classes, Kat, you know that I probably bring up postmodernism almost every lecture because I just think about it all the time. And there's one great, I call him great, postmodern thinker named Jacques Derrida, who says this, all determination or finitude, which is another word of saying certainty or judgment. So he says, all determination or finitude actually constitutes violence. So what he's saying is if you're so certain and so sure about your perspective, that's really gonna harm me. And so it begins to paralyze us. We don't know what to do or what to think about. And G.K. Chesterton, which he was early in the 20th century, around you know, 1910, I think it was, he's a great guy. I love his way of wording things. He kind of puts this in, in terms we can understand a little bit. 
He predicted that this gray form of gray moral, moral philosophy would certainly bring about tolerance for all citizens, but then also to servants, but then to animals, and then presumably to plants. So it's a paralysis, 50 shades of gray. With unique wit, he observed, I think it's wrong to sit on a man. I think it's wrong to sit on a horse. Soon I shall think it wrong to sit on a horse. And I suppose I think it wrong soon to sit on a chair. And so we see this paralysis. But let's not be too hard on the postmodernists because really postmodernism is a critique of modernism. And it's a critique of the cold steel certainty of scientific thought. And so people have become uncomfortable with it. And, and they may not have rediscovered the pre-modern times. It becomes a postmodern grayness. And, and this is the kind of the pre... They're, they're actually not wanting anarchy, perhaps, some would say. But they're actually longing for the pre-modern natural order that Plato talked about. And Peter Kreef, uh, with eloquence, uh, has this quote that describes the difference between modern scientific, that cold steel way of thinking, and the pre-modern way of thinking, okay? And he says, pre-scientific ancients often made the mistake of trying to know the cosmos by intuition, by myth, by poetry and mysticism instead of science. We moderns, meaning the scientific thinkers, usually make the mistake of the far deadlier error of trying to understand the self by science. They personalize the universe. We depersonalize the self. They thought even matter was spirit. We think even spirit is matter. They thought even things were persons. We think even persons are things. They worship the earth as the body of a god we call psychology a science. Which mistake is more stupid and deadly? Now, it's kind of hard on uh, psychology. It's a behavioral science, and I'm a part of the behavioral science as a communication major. So it's interesting to me that I look at science, uh, communication can be looked at two ways. One is a science that predicts human Communication can be predictable. Human communication is predictable. And the other side that sees communication as an art that says human communication is not predictable. Thank God human communication is not predictable. What a boring gray world it would be. C.S. Lewis in The Abolition of Man wrote of the ongoing battle between God's truth, which he called the Tao, which is spelled T-A-O for some reason, but it's pronounced Tao, which is a universal and natural truth and he describes that as, as a battle between that and the conditioners is what he called them of modern science. And he says, this final stage of this battle is to come when man, by eugenics, by prenatal conditioning, and by an education and propaganda based on perfect applied psychology, has obtained full control over himself. Human nature will be the last part of nature to surrender to man. The battle will then be gone. So it's no wonder why the postmodernists around us prefer the 50 shades of gray to the cold steel of modern progress. 
But is the postmodern lens the final answer? Now, Jonathan Brandenburg, when he was here a few weeks ago, he got to quote uh, Soren Kierkegaard, and I think every good sermon must, well, at least every good college lecture should have once at least quote Sean, uh, Soren Kierkegaard. And he brought, beat me to it, but I thought I'd throw one in here anyway. This is what he says. He was, he's kind of known as the father existentialism, but he was a deeply Christian person. He saw Christianity as really just so awesome he could barely describe it. It brought him on his knees to silence. Now, this is what he says about the postmodern way of thinking. The social world has become nothing but a meeting place for individual wills, each with its own set of attitudes and preferences, and who understand that that world solely as an arena for the achievement of their own satisfaction, who interpret reality as a series of opportunities for their enjoyment, and for whom the last enemy is boredom. So what do you think? Do you prefer postmodern's 50 shades of gray or the cold steel of modernity? What do you prefer? What's the answer? So I'm, not, I'm gonna say what I didn't say, and that is the verse that we looked at today is indeed the answer, but it is not a way to salvation. But I will say this again you do have important life choices, that you do have a choice between the 50 shades of gray of of postmodernism and the cold steel certainty of modernism. You have a choice. And that's what this passage in Philippians is all about. It's about God's desire for you to joy life abundantly. And it's also about, he asserts, that divine universal standards actually do exist. And they can be known and adopted by his people. But you have to take off the dark glasses. How do we know that's true? It's seen in the death and resurrection of Jesus. He implies that the definition of these key things to look upon is difficult for us. It is beyond our natural human capacity to see things. And he says, Paul says, you need help. And and his illustration is, Here's what I can do for you. Live like I live. See like I see. Do like I do. As because our eyes may not be accustomed to the brilliance of God's truth. And that seeing through God's eyes, the most wonderful blessing of all is that we will find peace. It's not that we'll know more than our culture but we'll have the peace that he promises us. He says, and the God of peace will be with you. One more time with Weaver, channeling Plato, he argued that we have a duty to see that names are not irresponsibly changed because denial of universals carries with it the denial of every transcending experience. That's what we're talking about, transcendence to God that communion with God. With the denial of objective truth, there's no escape from the relativism that man is the measure of all things. And we've already seen that, particularly with postmodern humans, that their favorite color is gray with 50 shades or more. So, what can we do about this? Acts Church Here's my exhortation for you. I will not leave you with a question. Hopefully I'll leave with, with an answer. 
There are several things we can do. We can see things differently if we think differently. Think that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ shows us that there is an absolute good. This shows us, proves to us that there's a higher truth and that everything should be seen and can be seen in the light of God's desire for us to know and have the best. Secondly, think that our senses and perceptions can be conformed. They can be conformed to his way of seeing, his eyes, by consuming God's word. And so in doing that, we can actually recognize the beauty of God's creation around us. C.S. Lewis describes this pretty well. He says, the story, which he means is our story, the story is about someone who had to wear a mask. A mask that actually made him look nicer than he really was. He had to wear it for years. And when he finally took it off, he found that his own face had grown to fit it. He was now really beautiful. And I think that's what God's word does for us. Thirdly, think that the flame of truth will be found within a sending community and in worship. Weaver, one more time with Weaver, he suggests that true knowledge exists best in discourse between persons. The truth leaping up among them like a flame. Friday night, we had a sending community in our, our home, and we built a fire, didn't we? And I bet you, those that sat around the fire, I didn't participate in much of that, but I bet the truth left up between you and that the conversations were rich, right? As a church, we've, got to, we've gone on record to promise you, we promise you this, as this church, Acts Church Leander promises this to you, that if you immerse yourself in a Christian community, you will experience truth. Acts Church, while Paul's message is not about our salvation, it is not about the sin of tolerance or intolerance, but it is about the blessings, those wonderful, pure, noble blessings God has made special for us. So my exhortation for you is take off those glasses, take off those dark shades, and see the world as God meant it. Experience the blessings God has meant for you. So if you'd pray with me, I'd appreciate it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the pure truth and goodness of your death and resurrection. By your spirit, brighten our vision. Conform our perception. Condition us to your truth. Make us more than 50 shades of Christian gray or a cold and impenetrable steel. Free us from our darkened lenses. Show us the colorful, sublime beauty of your world and help us recognize it always. Help us to think on these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Max Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at axchurchleander.com.